speak through him to encourage us, to guide us. Lord, I pray that as, as, as we listen, we would be encouraged in our walk for this week, not just that we might feel better for a few minutes this morning, but so that we might be prepared to go into our week, to go into the world and live for you the way you would have us live as a servant of yours. Lord, I pray that the things that are said in here in the next few minutes would honor you and would bring all glory to you. Lord, I just pray this in your son's magnificent name. Amen. You know, it's often said that history repeats itself. And some of us have learned that by living it. Some of us have learned that by studying history. While some of us have actually learned it from reading the Old Testament. Because the Israelites went into bondage and then they cried out to God. And they were delivered. And then again, they sinned, went into slavery, cried out to God, and they were delivered. And then again, they went into slavery, went into sin, went into slavery, cried out to God, and was delivered. But you know in the years of 700, one day God said this, and these really are horrible, horrible words to hear. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Another 700 years or so, and Jerusalem would be destroyed. 70 A.D. Rome would put a siege around Jerusalem, burn the city down, tear down the walls, and destroy the temple. And the temple would never be rebuilt again. One wall of the temple really remains even to the day. And properly named, it's called the Wailing Wall. Because the Jews still stand and wail. Now I stand before you today and I'm going to give you the same warning. Because see, over a hundred thousand churches will close in the next two years. And only 35,000 will be opened up. Over a million Christian families will be destroyed in the next few years. And it will all be for one reason. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Knowledge, let's put a definition on this word and it would pertain to the word of God back then and to the word of God today. Knowledge, that which is or may be known. How does one obtain knowledge? By being taught, either through a teacher or experience. Oh, I'm sorry. I guess I forgot something. We're talking about lack of knowledge. If knowledge is known, then the lack of knowledge would have to be not knowing. Not having knowledge about something can be a very dangerous thing. If you are a doctor without knowledge, it can be dangerous to your patients. 
But how about if you're a Christian or a father or a mother with lack of knowledge of God and Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Bible? Who is at risk then? Ourselves? Our families? Our children? Our friends? And even our churches? How do we get knowledge of God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Word? One is by being taught. Two is by sermons. Three is by studying. Four is by reading. And five is by discussion. Now I'm going to chase a rabbit here or what appears to be a rabbit. But I'm going to ask you to just kind of hang in there with me for just a minute. I have an 8th grade education. Whose fault is that? It's mine. And if the truth were be told, I did not learn much of those in those 8 years. Why? Well, I could blame it on my teachers. Or how about the school system? Or maybe yet I could just blame it on my parents. But the truth is, I went through eight years of school and I made a choice. I chose not to learn. I was given the opportunity and I chose not to take advantage of it. I chose not to learn. And the truth of it is, many churches now, not just ours, have people that sit in the church and make a choice not to to learn. They choose not to be taught. We think that not knowing will excuse us for not teaching, but it won't. We have been a fed a lie from hell that we do not have to learn. All we have to do is live a good life. Because when I'm in public, people are watching me, so if I'm good, People will know that I'm a Christian. Or how about this? I let people see my face. <coughs> Sorry, but that is a lie. And we will get back to that lie in a minute. But for right now, I want us to go to a part of scriptures in Matthew. We were supposed to memorize these verses in November. But we are going to back up two verses further and read them all. So please join me in Matthew chapter 28. And we will start in verse 16. I'll give you just a few minutes to get there. Verse 16 says this, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now I want us to first look at who is Jesus talking to? The eleven disciples. The eleven men he chose and that walked with him daily from anywhere from two and a half to three and a half years. He trained these men. They were taught. 
He knew they was ready to take on the world. In fact, in verse 1, one verse in the Bible, in Acts 17, it says, When they did not find him, they began dragging Jason and some brethren before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have upset the world have come here also. How did they come here to have this great knowledge? A knowledge that would upset the world. Now the families are friends, but the world, can you imagine that? Not the families, not just the friends, but they upset the world. Ten times in the gospel, we find the word taught. Seven times, it refers to what Christ taught. Nineteen times, teaches referred to what Jesus said and done. Then we have teacher. It is found 48 times and it refers to Jesus almost 40 of those times. In fact, Jesus is referred to as a teacher more than any other name. Now before somebody gets excited, he referred to himself 80 times as the son of man. But that's not the same as what somebody else calls you is what you call yourself. 15 times he was called rabbi, which means teacher. So I thought since the word was so important to the Holy Spirit and a direct command from God, let's look at the meaning. What is to teach? To impart the knowledge of. Uh-oh. There we go, back to that word knowledge. Again, it also means to give intelligence concerning. It also means to direct as an instructor. And further, Jesus tells them, teach what I have commanded you. Teach others what I have taught you. Well, some of us have never learned. And because we've never learned, it would be best not to teach. Now, for some, we think this lets us off the hook. And you know what? It doesn't. Remember when Mark taught us last week that we need families to meet and talk about these devotions? This is just what I'm talking about. Because this is a way of learning. This is a way of teaching. We will answer. Listen. We will answer for what God has given us and what we have chosen to do with it. He has given us two good teachers. Have we learned? Or have we just sat here wishing they would hurry up and forget what they taught before we could ever even get out the entrance of the driveway? Most of us have a Bible. Do we make the time to read it, study it, learn it? Or do we just prefer really to watch TV? Our teachers have given us a reading program with a Sunday morning class to be taught in. Are we taking advantage of them and even reading and attempting to learn them? They have given us memory verses. Now let's be honest with ourselves. Have we been sitting here and that is what we have been doing? <clears throat> sitting here? We will answer what we have done with what God has given us. We read in Matthews 25, 24 to 26, which is about the parable of the slaves given a talent and told to invest it. Verse 24 starts in the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, 
reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid, and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reaped where I did not sow, and gathered where I scattered no seed. I want you to do something. Can you imagine standing before Jesus Christ come your judgment day and saying, I done nothing for your word. I hid it. I hid it, Master. I hid it, Lord. I hid it, Savior. Can we imagine standing in front of Christ knowing we did nothing? And not that we couldn't do something, but that we chose to do nothing. God, have mercy on our soul. And I'm not too sure He will. One last thing. How many times have you heard this? I just want to be like Jesus. Oh man, ain't that, that is the most popular. I just want to be like Jesus. Really? Well, in Luke 23, 5, his enemies turned him over to Pilate, and guess how it reads? But they kept on insisting, saying he stirs up the people by being good? Nah. Being kind to them? Nah. How about feeding the poor? Nah. No, it says it, and it's very plain. He stirs up the people teaching all over Judea, starting from Galilee even as far as this place, by teaching them. Now I told you that we would talk about this, I am good. I let others see what I believe and what I do. Listen and listen closely. It takes two people for this action. The one doing it and the one watching it. Do we really think that we're walking around with some kind of halo or some kind of mark that when we do something, people say, well, they do that because they are a Christian or they believe in Jesus. How can a person who is not a Christian, who does not believe, who has never heard the word of God, know why you are doing something? If we are honest with ourselves, we know they can't. Declaring to do good works to show people what you believe is like giving a blind man a painting and not telling him what the painting is about. He will never know what is on that painting until someone tells him what is on it. A lost person will not know why you do what you do until... They know who you do it for. Because this is the truth. If you are keeping the commandments, if you are being good, if you are being kind, if you are helping people, if you are feeding the hungry and housing the homeless just so others can see it, then you really are not much better than a Pharisee. Look at me and see what I do and who I am. Isn't that what they used to do? Look and see how holy I am. And because I'm so holy, I get to tell you how to live and what you are doing wrong. Now, if you are helping others, if you are being kind, 
if you are feeding the hungry and doing your best to keep the commandments, if you are trying to love God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself because God has given you the commandment to do so, then you're doing it for the right reason. But let me emphasize, this is the only reason acceptable to God. If you are doing it to be patted on the back, you won't be. I want us to go a little deeper in case you did not believe or understand what I just said. An Old Testament Jew, an Old Testament Jew, he only believes in the Old Testament. He does not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He does not believe he died and rose for our sins. Guess what? He will do these things that you do not because he believes. It will lead others to Christ but because the Old Testament tells him to. He will keep the commandments, he will be kind, and he will be helpful, and he will feed the hungry and the homeless, but he will never lead anyone to Jesus Christ. A Mormon does all of these things because he believes you have to work your way to heaven. And he will lead you to angels and the works and all to the Book of Mormons. He will not lead you to Jesus Christ. A Catholic? Look at what the Catholic churches have done. Look at the hospitals that Catholic churches have opened up. Look at the orphanages Catholic churches have opened up. They will lead you to kiss the feet of Peter, pray to Mary, and light a candle. Oh, and how many Hail Marys to save for your sin? Now let us look at this from the view of the one who is watching you or the one who is perceiving what you claim lead people to Jesus. You're in a store and someone comes up and slaps you and you turn the other cheek. A non-believer, a non-Christian, someone who knows nothing about Christ or the Bible, or church, will look at you and think one thing. Wow. Did you see that coward? He didn't even defend himself. They will not be impressed about your Christianity. Do you understand now you might turn the other cheek because of God told you to? But the person who does not know about God does not see it like you do? We need to understand not everyone looks at the world the way a Christian is supposed to look at the world. Just because it is good to you or even godly to you do not take for granted that you are teaching or showing ungodly people godly ways. Whether it is good or godly is decided by the perceiver as well as the doer. Let me give you one example. If a good devout Muslim Blows himself up and kills 50 infidels. Guess what the other devout Muslims perceive him as? A good Muslim. A good godly man. You see, it depends on the one doing and the one watching. Now understand this. I'm not telling you not to live a Christian life. Not to live a godly life. Not to live a good life. You should 
But we need to do it for the right reason because God has commanded it. Not for show. Not an attempt to lead others. And you can influence people by what you do. But there is a difference between influencing and teaching. Let me give you an example. A doctor has a son. And the son sees him save lives. He sees him heal people. He sees him help people. And he says, I want to be like my dad. I want to be a doctor. That's great. And that's wonderful. And that's fantastic. But he will still have to go to school to get knowledge. And he will still have to go to college to get more knowledge. And then he will have to go to medical school to even get more knowledge. Watching a doctor will not make him a doctor. How many of us know this verse and even say this verse? Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now let us understand what this does not say. It does not say drag your child to church once or twice a week and let the church do your job. Friend, you know Alabama has a really good football team, don't they? <laughs> Point blank, they do. They have, whether you like them or whether you don't, doesn't matter. They have a really good football team. But how long, friend, do you think they would be a good football team if they only practiced one hour a week? Now, Alabama also has a really good coach. He knows football. You cannot train your child up in the ways of God if you do not know the ways of God yourself. You know, it really scares me, and sometimes I often worry about it. Because I wonder how many parents are sitting at home with their children watching the new series, The Chosen. It's a really good show. It really is. Great entertainment. I like it. But I also wonder how many parents are letting their children take it all in like it's the gospel. Instead of telling them and letting them and showing them that 95% or better of it is not the gospel. And maybe they are not telling them because in reality they really do not know. They're soaking it all up like it's the gospel as well. Do you know the difference between truth, the Word of God, and what Hollywood produces? We are called to teach, but we are also called to teach the truth, not Hollywood. Don't tell me you have raised your child in church. Tell me you have trained your child up in the ways of God. By example, and by mouth, and by learning yourself. Now we have talked about teaching, but now I would like to swing the door open a little further and talk about testifying. Because it says in Luke 24, 46 to 48, and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ who suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Acts 1 it says, But you will perceive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and all Judea, 
Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Let's look at the meaning of testify. To make a solemn declaration, verbal or written, to establish some fact, to give testimony for the person of communication to others, a knowledge of something not known to them. There's that word again, knowledge, to bear witness to. Now, a lot of churches have a lot of people, I'm afraid, sitting in the pews that can't testify. And I pray that we have none sitting here. But the truth is, they can't testify because they have not witnessed anything. Let's just go to a legal standpoint just and just look at it this way. You know, if you're called in front of the judge and you given the oath and you're told to testify about the time you say, well, you know, Steve told me that Sam did. The judge is going to say, well, well, wait a minute. You can only testify to what you've seen, not what Steve told you. So he looks at you and says, did you hear anything? And Mark says, well, Steve told me that Sam said, oh, no, 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 no. You can testify to what you heard. You can't testify to what somebody told you. Do you understand? There are many people sitting in churches today that have not witnessed anything. They cannot testify to anything. In fact, the truth of the matter is, many people sitting in churches today are afraid to testify. And there's a reason. Because, see, if a man tells his best friend, you know, I, I used to be a thief and a liar, an adulterer and a drunk, but you know, one day I walked the aisle and I said this special prayer with the pastor and now I'm going to heaven because I've changed. His friend's going to look at him and he's going to laugh. And he's going to say, I'm sorry, but you are still the same lying, thieving, drunken, adulterer you've ever been. There has never been a change. There's nothing worse than being afraid of being caught in a lie. So you choose not to testify because really you have not witnessed anything. Yet a person with a true testimony. We heard it two weeks ago from Linda. And from, I am sorry, your, mind, mom, your, your name went that way. I'm Jamie. Yeah, Jamie. <laughs> Sunday school. Did you hear the excitement? Could you hear it in her voice? Linda was so excited she couldn't get out what she wanted to say. There was a truth to it. There was a witness. There was a testimony. There was something they wanted to tell. When you've been saved, there's something you want to tell. You have to tell it. You can't keep it in. You want to tell it. Amen. But see, some of us have nothing to testify to. But yet, we sit in church daily. Now, we're going to hold three funerals. All died in a car accident. And they all died at the same car accident, and they all belonged to the same church. They were all friends. The church now 
is about 50 years old. But however, the pastor is new. He has only been there two weeks. So he steps up to the podium and he says, we are here today to honor Mr. Smith. Now Mr. Smith was a member of this church for 50 years. He helped start this church. He has three surviving children and 12 surviving grandchildren. His wife's name was Thelma. Don't ask me where I came up with that name. But now to be honest, I did not get to know Mr. Smith. So I thought I would ask people in the church to give a testimony about Mr. Smith. One hand went up and Mr. Smith's son stood up. And he said, you know, I know my father was a good man. He was a good father. Another hand went up and the guy stood up and said, I know Mr. Smith was a really good neighbor. Another hand went up and said, I know Mr. Smith was always helping people. If he seen you on the side of the road, he would stop. If you had a flat tire and you didn't have the money to fix it, he would pay for your tire. He was a good, good man. Another hand went up and the guy said, I know Mr. Smith was always working at Lamb. He loved feeding people. He was good. Another stood up and said, Mr. Smith was just a good man. He was always kind, thoughtful, polite. He was just a good man. Then the last one stood up and said, you know, Mr. Smith was just a good person. He would help anyone in the church he could. He was just generally a good person. Then the church went silent. You see, Mr. Smith was a Christian, but no one could testify to it. He didn't tell anyone. He stayed silent and thought just being good was good enough. But the truth of the matter was the only thing about good testifying to Mr. Smith was a good man. Then the new pastor stepped over to Mr. Jones. Now he wasn't a member as long as Mr. Smith. But he'd been a member of this church for the last 20 years. He survived by his wife and two children. But once again, the pastor has to say, I do not know much about this man. Because I've only been here a couple weeks. So once again, I'm going to ask, is there anybody that can testify about Mr. Jones? His son stood up and said, well, one thing I know, my daddy, if the church doors was open, my daddy was there. Another stood up and said, I know if something in the church needed repaired or fixed, Mr. Jones would fix it. Someone else stood up and said, you know, I do not remember ever going anywhere with Mr. Jones that he didn't invite someone to church. Someone else said, I know that if, right, if he went to the shop, if he went to the store, he invited people to church. He was always helping passing out food while inviting people to church. Another stood up and said, yeah, you can bet if you met Mr. Jones, 
he was going to invite you to church. Then the church went silent again. The only thing anyone could testify was that Mr. Jones was a churchgoer. And Mr. Jones was a devout churchgoer. But he thought his job, his obligation, his responsibility stopped at inviting people to church. Then the pastor went over and he stood at the third casket with tears in his eyes and he said, you know, Mr. Peter left just a wife. A hand went up and he stood and said, I can remember when Peter told us about the time he got a hold of Jesus and took him over to the side and told him he wasn't going to the cross and how the Lord had to put him in his place. Another hand went up and said, I can remember when Peter stood and cried as he told us about the time he denied Jesus. Then another hand went up and said, I can remember the time he talked about cutting off the Roman servant's ear, defending Jesus, and Jesus had to put him in his place. Another one stood up and said, I can remember when he stood up in front of the whole church and told us about the Sanhedrin calling him and telling him if he didn't stop testifying, they would beat him. And he told them he had to do what God told him, not what man did. Another said, I can remember when he was beaten for teaching about Jesus. And he came back to the church praising and worshiping God for being allowed to be beaten in the name of Christ. Someone else stood up and said, I can remember when he went against his religion to go and tell the Gentiles about Christ and how he used to testify. The Holy Spirit fell on them like they fell on the disciples at Pentecost. Another one said, I can remember when he stopped eating with the Gentiles and went back to the Jews because he was afraid of what the Jews would think about him, eating with a bunch of Gentiles. And Paul had to correct him. You see, I have to admit, I did not know much about Mr. Smith, except for he was a good man. And all that I knew that knew him, they all thought so. But I also did not know much about Mr. Jones, and everybody knew he was a good churchgoer. But you see, I hadn't been here but a week when Peter said to me, I have to talk to you. We went in the office and he said, I have to tell you something. I said, what is it, Peter? He said, I want to tell you when I met Jesus. My Lord and my Savior has left me with the command to do so. The first time I seen Jesus, I was with John the Baptist. And he, we spent the day together. He was actually kind of scary. You see, he looked like peace. You could see the love in his eyes. You could hear the tenderness in his voice. And the understanding in his words. Then the next time I was at work, I was fishing. He came up and I knew he knew all I had ever done. And more, he knew all I would ever do. 
When he came near to my boat, there was something different. Oh, I knew he knew me. He had the same love in his eyes. The same peace on his face. His voice was still tender and his words were still understanding. But there was something that had changed. His hands and his arms. You see, his hands were saying, I forgive you. And his arms were saying, come, follow me. I left my boat and I followed him, you know, and it was really tough. And most of the time, to be honest with you, he had to carry me. But he carried me and he didn't say nothing. But the last time I seen him, he had holes in his hands. And feet. And a hole in his side. From where he had hung on a cross for my sins. He had the same love in his eyes. The same tenderness in his voice. The same peace on his face. And the same understanding in his words. He had the same forgiveness for me he always had. But he had some instructions for me. He said, Peter, do you love me? Go and feed my sheep. Then he repeated it. Peter, do you love me? Then go and teach others what I have taught you. Then again he said, Peter, do you love me? Then go and testify about me. You see, the church could testify about Mr. Peter because Mr. Peter went beyond being good. He went beyond being a church call. He did what God had called him to do. To learn, to teach, to testify. How are you doing? Are you learning? Are you teaching? Are you testifying? Or are you really just doing enough to get by? You know, hey, what else does God expect? I get up. I come to church. I listen to this boring class and then this dummy gets up and wants to preach. Wants to preach and I listen to him too. What else could God expect from me? He expects you to learn, to teach, and to testify. That's what God expects from you. And you might say, well, do I have to? Yeah. Why? Because God said so. No other reason. It isn't by your choice. It isn't like you were giving God some great gift. Or you are earning your salvation. Or you are being just good. It is because God said so. It's that simple. God gave us the commandment to go and teach. What he has taught us. You know when you when you see Paul in, 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 in Acts chapter 26 and he's in front of King Agrippa. All he does is tell King Agrippa what he was. Man, I was I, I was one that persecuted the church. I beat Christians. I tried to make them blaspheme. King Agrippa, let me tell you what I was. Oh. 
And then let me tell you who I met. And then after I met him, let me tell you what he'd done to my life. And what I do now, King Agrippa. Testify. You see, many of us might not be able to teach because many of us might not know. But there is another reason that we can't testify if you've been born again. Because if you've been born again, then you know where you were. You know who you met. And you know where you are. The church is being destroyed. Being destroyed. Families are being destroyed. Because we are failing to do what God has commanded for us to do. Because we think it's all a convenience after we've walked an aisle and said a prayer. When as I've heard Mark say before, after you accept Jesus, the work begins. The work begins. I want you to ask yourself, what are you doing? Are you testifying? Are you teaching? Or are you saying, wait a minute, I don't have to. I'm being good. I go to the store, people see that I'm a Christian. I go to the restaurant, people see that I'm a Christian. Wherever I go, people know that I'm a Christian because i got a halo up here that says so. <laughs> Are you telling anyone about Jesus? You see, when you testify, that is the gospel. That's the gospel. If you can testify, you can tell the gospel. Because that is the gospel. Jesus hung on the cross for your sins. And he died and he was raised. And he now reigns in you. That is the gospel. The thing is, is can you testify? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, creator of heaven and earth, Lord Jesus, I pray, and I pray that today, as I stand in front of this church, that it is not a church to be destroyed for lack of knowledge. That, Lord, we make us people that are willing to testify, that are willing to learn that are willing to teach. They not only teach while these church doors are open, but they teach at home. They teach in the stores. They teach on the corners. They teach and they testify. And they raise their children, train their children up in a godly way. Not bring them to church and expect the church to teach them in one hour which should be taught in a lifetime. Father, I thank you for our teachers. I thank you for this church. And I love this church. 
And Father, the last thing I want to see is this church destroyed. Please, you, the great teacher, teach us how to teach and how to testify. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. 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 Amen.